We spend most of our lives trying to avoid what we do not like and seeking to experience more of those things that bring us pleasure, happiness, and well-being. However, in doing this, we find ourselves in an almost constant state of fear. We fear what we do not like and also fear we will not have what we do like. No one imposes fear on us. Rather, we create it for ourselves with our own thoughts and emotions. What we need to realize is that we have just as much freedom to eliminate fear as we have in creating it. I think that might be one of those good news, bad news things. <laughs> so once again, we are being told that our thought is creative and that we have a lot of power to create whatever it is that we want. And we have every bit as much freedom to create faith as we have to create fear. We have every bit as much freedom to create passion as we do to create anxiety. If we want freedom from fear, first we have to let go of all the ideas and the thoughts, the beliefs that created the fear in the first place. We are using this book for the next few weeks, Living Without Fear. It says it was written by Ernest Holmes, but it wasn't on account of he had already made his transition by then. This is one of the books that my friend Lynn Johnson says, oh, is that another book that he wrote after he died? <laughs> after fashion, yes, it is. <laughs> it is a collection of articles that were published in the early editions of the Science of Mind magazine that were taken mostly from lectures that were, in fact, done by Dr. Ernest Holmes, who is the founder of our Science of Mind philosophy. And its declared purpose, the book's declared purpose, what Larry refers to usually as the promise, is it says it shows us a way to navigate our lives, our lives in an environment of faith and of freedom. In short, it shows us how to live a life that is fully loved and fully lived. The basis of um, our faith, science of mind, the basic tenets are three. There are three basic ideas, concepts. The first is that God is all there is. The second is that thought is creative. And the third is that love is the only power. And you may hear shorthand versions of those in a phrase that is often used in this philosophy. There's a power for good in the universe, and we can use it, which reflects the belief that God is all there is and also that our thought is creative. That's how we use it. We teach that there is only one life expressing as the many, and that there is only one mind, and we have access to it, which is where the thought is creative part comes in. 
So what this means is that the unlimited nature of God or the divine or the infinite or spirit or whatever you choose to call it, that which creates planets and galaxies and universes and all forms of life is our nature because that is all that there is. So the same technology, if you will, that the infinite uses to create all of this, including us, that same technology exists in us to create our lives. Because if God is all there is, that means us. And so that means that the God stuff is in, through, and as everything. So that is the truth of us. And because God is all there is, the only way that God can create, one would think, is by its own thought moving upon itself. And so that is how we create as well. We are a microcosm, little, a littler example, if you will, of how the infinite does things. And Jesus, the master teacher, is quoted as saying, it is done unto you as you believe. And I think that he was trying to tell us exactly that, that what we believe, our major environment of thought, is what we draw into our experience. See, fear is not a fact. Fear is a state of mind. Anxiety is a state of mind. State of mind, meaning that we created it in our mind. And if we created that, we can create something else. First we have to know it's there, and then we have to know that we can do that. And one of the ways that we do that in this philosophy is our form of affirmative prayer, which we will talk about in just a moment. And this book uses four main points to show us how to begin living a life without fear. And the first one is getting rid of superstitions. And the second is to know who and what you are, which Star so beautifully just told us, as well as Cheryl's beautiful prayer. And then recognize your individuality, because just as no one rose is exactly like another rose, no one person is exactly like another. And then the law of your life. And we'll begin with the superstition part for two reasons. One, because the book did, and two, because it's fun. <laughs> and they used a definition, two definitions of superstition here. The first one is a belief founded on irrational feelings. To some, feelings are irrational, but that's another talk altogether. And a belief in a religious system regarded by those outside of that system as unreasonable. I don't think I'm the only one, though, who thinks that, really, you could say that about any religious tradition. There's going to be someone who thinks both those things about it. I think it's a pretty subjective definition, but that's the ones we're going to work with. And one example of a superstition might be that God helps some people but does not help others, which would seem, then, that God is either whimsical or moody, <laughs> depending on which side of that you fall, you know. 
And another superstition could be that prayer can change the way God works or the way the law works. And when I use the term the law, when we use that in this philosophy, what we're talking about are either the laws of nature, such as um, gravity, or the laws of the universe, such as cause and effect. That always works the same. And it works the same for everyone. And it works all the time. And we cannot change that. Which I think, as far as the law of gravity, is probably a really cool thing. Because <laughs> so when we do our affirmative prayer, that changes us. It doesn't change the law, and it doesn't change, it doesn't change the infinite. It doesn't change God. Ernest Holmes is quoted as saying that we do not change the, re the nature of reality through prayer. We enter into the nature of reality, and we partake of it. The nature is unchangeable. God is unchangeable. So God is not changed by any words that we speak or any word that we speak or any prayer that we might utter. The purpose of the prayer is to change us, to change our belief, to change our thought. And by doing that, then things out here change. And that's our creative process which is the same as the infinite creative process. And so we need to rid ourselves of superstitions about God. And in this philosophy, science of mind, when we speak of God or spirit, we are not talking about the Santa Claus one, the one that is on a big cloud somewhere, keeping track of who's been naughty or nice, checking it twice and all that. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about a personality. We're talking about um, something that is much bigger, much vaster, in fact, unlimited in scope. There is no scope. It is the first cause. It is the source of everything that has ever been or will ever be. It is the one mind that we speak of. And so going from the one mind, then we can talk about who and what we are. Because we are physical beings, we can tell that because we show up in bodies. And we are mental beings because we use thought. And we are spiritual beings because if God is all there is, then that has to be everything. And so that has to be us. Because God creates everything out of itself using the material on hand, which is itself. So then we are spiritual beings, and Ernest Holmes likens us to a little world within a big world. And others use the example, and I love this, of the ocean. Because there's the ocean, and then it's comprised of drops within the ocean. We're the drops. We're not the whole o ocean. And I told this story in the first service because I think it's funny. Um, years ago, there was a Holmes Institute class, which is our ministerial school in religious science, that was being held at the Northern California campus in Santa Rosa, California. And this was before they had the big building they do now. They were using the uh, Luther Burbank Center, which is a big venue on a large acreage. And they have all kinds of things there, sort of like the schnitzer with, with a lawn. And... <laughs> 
And so they would do uh, set up, take down for their services every Sunday, but they had their bookstore there, staying there. And their bookstore had a door with glass in it and had windows, and they displayed things. And, and it looked directly out on this meadow where, at this point in time that I'm speaking of, there was a tent revival happening. And so, and there was, it's all day, all night, and at some point, apparently, the folks using the tent observed the folks using the bookstore, because all of a sudden, there appeared a big banner hanging on the side of the tent that said in big, huge letters, you are not God. <laughs> and that's true. We aren't. We are not the ocean. We are aspects of it. We are what we speak of in Science of Mind. We are states of consciousness. And we live and move and have our being in those states of consciousness or awareness. But it seems that most of the time, for most of us, um, we forget that. We forget our true nature. And that forgetting, that ignorance, is what brings about all this anxiety and all this fear. Because we have forgotten who we are, we have fallen asleep. Lulled into a stupor, if you will, by our own thoughts and our own beliefs. So creating the lives that we want to live is really not so much about creating as it is about waking up. Because really we don't create anything. It's already been created. We just allow it to be revealed through us. And we do that by consciously using that which we are already using. And we call that the law. And the law says that what we believe is what we get. What we focus on, we get more of. Which is unfortunate in some ways because a lot of times, maybe I'm the only one, <laughs> that when there's a problem, you tend to focus on it. You know, for me, it's like, I need to fix this. You know, you know, so you just focus on it, focus on it. Focus. Maybe it is just me. <laughs> and then, of course, you're going to get a whole bunch more of that, which you don't want on account of you're trying to focus on it to fix it in the first place. So it backfires on you. And the law says that that's what's going to happen, that you're going to get more of whatever it is your attention is. And see... It's not about creating because all of creation is already creation. It already, everything exists in the one mind. Everything is literally infinite possibility. And it is revealed to us, those limited possibilities, to the extent that we are open to it. But it's like having blinders on or looking through a kaleidoscope or something or just focusing right here on this. You're focusing on you don't you don't see anything out here. Larry did a thing one time with those with those with those things on those whatever you call those things, and yeah. What, and, but you know that's then that's all that you see. So that everything out here is for our intents and purposes doesn't exist, which of course isn't true. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so. All this infinite possibility is revealed to us to the extent that we are open to it so that all of this is an inside job. All of it. 
And as our consciousness changes, as our awareness shifts, as our thought pattern changes, then everything around us shifts to match that. And it happens in relationship, too. Some of you may have experienced that. Is that when you change, the people around you, things have to shift. It's like, it's like a play. And everybody has their script. And if you change your lines, it doesn't work. So as our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs change, everything around us changes. And that's how the law works. So what is happening on the outside is a direct reflection on what is happening on the inside. So if we want to change something, we need to start here. And what that means is that for many of us, we might muck about out here, rearranging everything out here and trying to change the job, change the relationship, change the whatever. And that can change for a bit. However, I'm here to tell you, if this inside stuff doesn't change, this is all going to restore to its natural state. Y'all know that, that deal where some people, I've known a few, who keep dating the same person over and over again? That's kind of what that's about, is you can change the relationship and change the individual, but if my insides are the same, I'm going to get the same person just different outfit. So, and that can be good for a while, a different outfit. So, so I'm just saying. So, this is, this is what, this is what our form of affirmative prayer is about, is, is shifting our own selves, not anything out there. We are not um, persuading God to do anything differently. We're not um, persuading the law to act any way other than it already does because it can't. We are just aligning ourselves with what is the truth, and then everything opens up. It's like taking the blinders off, and then it's a whole new world. And for the first time ever, I read this in this little book, that Dr. Holmes is quoted as saying that evolution is not a cause of how humanity, for example, has evolved. It's the other way around. Evolution is not a cause. Evolution is an effect. The entire evolution of man is the result of gradual awakening to truths which have eternal existence. And so what that means is that all the human discoveries, for instance, in math and science, all the movement in consciousness that has been and is taking place on the planet, all the creative expression in the arts and so on, is a revelation of an eternal existence. So our job is not really as difficult as we make it out to be. It's already there. Everything. Everything is already there. And this brings us to the third point, which is recognizing your individuality. Again, I'm coming back to the rose. We teach that there's only one life showing up as the many. 
And I remember at first, when I first started taking classes, when I first started hearing this, I thought about that a whole bunch because I thought, well, if there's only one of us, then how come there's so many of us here? Wouldn't it be, I mean, seriously, wouldn't it be simpler, you know, if, if there really was only one of us? And, of course, I, I guess it depends on who it would be. I would want it to be me, but... But each of us is a center of divine consciousness, and the uniqueness is a reflection of the creativity of the infinite, that there are no two alike. And to the extent that we become aware of this truth, that the nature of God is the nature of us, and that we are individualized expressions of the infinite, that brings us closer to the truth of who and what we really are, which then brings us into greater awareness of who and what you are, which then brings us closer to the infinite, which then changes the way everybody behaves, doesn't it? There's a quote in here from Ralph Waldo Emerson Emerson tells us to watch the spark which illuminates our own consciousness. This spark is shot from the central fires of the universe and gathers brilliance within us as we fan it with our awareness of it. So there is brilliance in every single one of us. And our awareness is the fan. Your individuality is precious. And it's on purpose. Every single being here is here on purpose. And there are no two of us alike, even identical twins. They are not the same. We are not alike. And to me, recognizing our individuality is recognizing that each one of us is a unique contribution to the planet. Every single one of us brings something that only we can bring. And if we keep it hidden, undiscovered, then the universe just has to do without it. I remember as a young person growing up in Roseburg, Oregon, I had a very keen awareness of a very felt sense of a power greater than myself. And I investigated it religion-wise, visiting several different, trying several different Christian churches in our area because that all there was was Christian churches in the area. And there's, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. And I came to believe and I told people that my religion was using everything that I have, everything that I am, to its fullest, to literally be everything that I could possibly be. That was my religion. And I still believe that to be true. Because if I wasn't supposed to be here, if I wasn't necessary, I wouldn't be here. And I believe that about every single person in this room. If you weren't supposed to be here, you wouldn't be here. Your presence is required, and your gift is awaited. And that brings us to the law of your life. 
because science of mind was founded on timeless ancient teachings that at the same time are very, very simple. We live in a spiritual universe of intelligence and creativity. That's it. We live in a spiritual universe of intelligence and creativity, which means to me that there is unlimited intelligence and unlimited creativity. And the way we use that as human beings, the law that we call it all the time, we frequently use in classes a metaphor of the seed and the soil and the plant because it's really easy to understand. Because if you have, buy a packet of tomato seeds because you want some tomatoes, and you plant them in the dirt, you're going to get tomatoes. You're not going to get artichokes or something else. You're going to get exactly what you planted. And that's how the law works. Our thought goes into the law, and it produces whatever it is when there. And so it's not what you think. It's goodness in and goodness out. Whatever we put in, we get out. And Ernest Holmes said that we are the outcome of God's desire to express itself as individuality. And so then we could say that the reason that we are here is this is how God gets to do life. This is how God gets to do form. And so that's quite, that's big, that's huge. And so for me, I mean, if, if to the extent that we believe that, don't we want to just make sure that that's just huge and an open channel and that everything, so God gets the e-ticket ride. You know, God gets the, the best. So that we make ourselves a clear, full channel through which God expresses itself. See, people have been healed, and countries right now are being birthed. And the planet is being transformed by vision and by faith and by prayer, all because of the law and the way that it works. All because of that. As a group of people get together, even not physically, but via the internet, with a vision, with a prayer, with an intent, things happen. And even now, our planet is transformed. Moment by moment, thought by thought. So in this philosophy, particularly, and this is not the only one that does this, but in this philosophy of science of mind, we make it our business to know how the law works because it is working all of the time. All the time. So maybe it would be a good idea for us to know exactly what we're putting in there. See, all the good that has ever been or will ever be is available to us right now. All of it. The only thing standing in the way is us, is what we think and what we believe. And regardless of who gave it to us, where we got it, we have the power to change it. See, faith is faith, and we all have faith in something. Some of us have faith in Murphy's Law. Some of us have faith, a belief that things will never change that we will never change. 
Some of us have faith that bad things happen, and that's just the way it goes. And some of us have faith in the good that is the infinite, and faith in the law which always works. And we get to choose what we have faith in. And if we have faith in the good and the love and the beauty that is God itself, then we get to have every yummy little taste of that in our lives. And it's up to us. We live in a universe of spirit and law. From one we are to draw inspiration, from the other we are to utilize power. Each is a complement to the other. And both are necessary to existence. And that is a quote from this book, and I'm going to end with this quote from the same book. You can find a freedom from fear, and you can discover the ways and the means to achieve more of what your heart desires. The journey can be made, the goals can be achieved. But it is something that no one else can do for you. The attainment rests in the processes of your own thought. So the challenge in life and in living is to what degree we can learn to think constructively. And this book, and others like it, can show you the way, but the actual traveling is up to you. And your journey from fear to freedom you will be making the greatest discovery of all, and that discovery is you, the rose that each one of you is. And that is my prayer. So let us pray. So in this moment of remembering, there is truly only one of us here. There is only that one that I call God that encompasses everything, everyone, everywhere, all the time. This one has always been and will always be. Absolute intelligence and beauty and love. And because it is, everything else is. Emerging from it as an aspect of it, with all that beauty, all that intelligence, and all that love. I know that is true for me. I know it's true for every person in this room every person on the planet, all the love of God, the intelligence of God, the beauty of God. I speak this word for every single one of us in the sanctuary this morning, affirming and knowing a willingness to open up to that possibility, affirming a willingness to open up hearts and minds to embrace or entertain the possibility of that who and what we are is already enough, is already perfect. And I affirm a willingness on the part of every single person here to explore what that looks like for each one of us so that the gift that we are can be given freely and with love. And in doing so, we lift up the entire planet. And in gratitude for knowing this truth, I release this word. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.